Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. There are none as innocent as a child or the elderly. On November 4th, 1905, a woman was born who would spend her life making a fortune off of others' misfortune. A woman who was perceived as the sweet old grandmother who had a habit of taking out insurance policies on just the right people. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Nanny Doss, born Nancy Hazel on November 4, 1905, was raised in Blue Mountain, Alabama as one of five children. Growing up, Nanny harbored a deep hatred for her father, James, one shared by her mother, as the controlling man forced his children to work on the family farm instead of attending school, which resulted in Nanny's poor academic performance, as well as some other lasting issues like headaches, blackouts, and depression that came after she hit her head on a metal bar when she was just seven years old. James forbade his daughters from wearing makeup and attractive clothing, believing that this prevented them from being molested, and kept them far away from the dances and social events that all the other kids their age seemed to be going to. In fact, Nanny's first social interaction with a man outside her family didn't come until she got her first job in 1921. As a means for escape, the pair of women dove headfirst into her mother's romance magazines, as Nanny would ponder what life would be like when a great love came in, swept her off her feet, and straight into a better life. Her favorite part? The Lonely Hearts column. While other girls her age worried about what dress to pick for an upcoming dance, Nanny worked her fingers to the bones at the local linen factory, having dropped out of school completely by the sixth grade. At the age of 16, Nanny met and married a co-worker at the factory, Charlie Braggs, who somehow earned her father's approval after just four months of dating. Charlie, an only son to a single mother, quickly moved his new bride into his mother's home at her insistence. Later, Nanny wrote the following about her marriage to Charlie. I married as my father wished in 1921 to a boy I only knowed about four or five months, who had no family, only a mother who was unwed, and who had taken over my life completely when we were married. She never seen anything wrong with what she'd done, but she would take spells. 
She would not let my own mother stay all night. With a mama's boy consumed by his familial obligations and a mother-in-law who limited her activities, Nanny soon found herself living a life that was quite the opposite of the romance stories that she devoured. Between 1923 and 1927, Nanny birthed four daughters, developed a drinking and smoking addiction, and, along with her wandering husband, started an affair of her own. In 1927, her two middle daughters suddenly lost their lives to a suspected food poisoning. And soon thereafter, Charlie took their firstborn daughter, Melvina, and deserted both Nanny and their newborn, Florine. Before long, Charlie's mother passed away. And now completely on her own, Nanny took up a job at a cotton mill to try and support herself and her daughter. About a year later, and accompanied by a divorcee and her own child, Charlie brought Melvina back, and shortly after, the pair officially got a divorce and Nanny moved back into her mother's home, accompanied by her two daughters. When asked later, Charlie claimed he left Nanny because he was frightened of her, suspecting that she was responsible for their daughter's deaths in 1927. A year or so after her divorce from Charlie, Nanny met and married a man named Robert Franklin Harrelson from one of those lonely hearts as she loved so much as a young girl. The new family moved to Jacksonville, Alabama and settled into their new lives. Unfortunately, just months after their vows were spoken, Nanny found out that much like her first husband, Robert was a heavy-handed drunk with a criminal record for assault. Despite this, Their marriage lasted 16 years until Robert's death. Towards the end of their marriage in 1943, Nanny's daughter Melvina, now an adult, gave birth to a son she called Robert Lee Haynes. Another baby followed two years later, but tragically died shortly after his first breath. As the story goes, groggy from the ether distributed during birth, Melvina swore she saw her mother stick a hat pin into her baby's head. Drifting in and out of consciousness, Melvina asked her husband and sister about her delusion, only to be told the devastating news about her baby's passing. According to her husband and sister, it was Nanny who told them that the child had died, and she was holding a pin at the time. The doctors, however, could not explain the sudden death. Destroyed by their grief, Melvina and her husband drifted apart, and Melvina soon found herself in a relationship with a soldier, whom her mother did not approve of. During a visit, she made her feelings known and the pair got into a nasty fight. Then, on July 7, 1945, Melvina's surviving child, Robert, mysteriously died while in his grandmother's care. The death was deemed asphyxia from an unknown cause, and two months later, Nanny collected a $500 insurance payout from a policy that she had taken out on her grandson. That same year, Japan surrendered and ended World War II, triggering parties all around the country and jovial drinking within most of the bars. Robert Harrelson, as the story goes, was amongst one of those heavy drinkers and, after a particularly boozy night, came home and raped his wife. Fed up by his actions, Nanny went out to tend her garden the next day and happened upon some of her husband's hidden stash of corn whiskey. Later that same night, Robert took a swig and ended his life. He had no clue that his wife had topped off the jar with some rat poison that she had laying around the house. Nanny quickly returned to her Lonely Hearts columns and met a man from Lexington, North Carolina named Arlie Lanning. 
They married and, like before, Nanny quickly realized he was yet another alcoholic. She seemed to attract that type of man. However, in this marriage, Nanny took a page from her ex-husband's playbook and would disappear for months on end, playing the doting housewife when she came home and out doing God knows what when she was gone. Two and a half years after their speedy wedding, Arlie got sick and, after being cared for by his wife, passed away from what the doctors assumed was heart failure. The town rallied around the grieving widow who couldn't seem to catch a break when it came to love. Shortly after his death, the home that they stayed in, which was left to Arlie's sister, burned down and the insurance money went straight to Nanny. She banked the money away and soon thereafter, Arlie's mother died in her sleep. With nothing left for her in North Carolina, Nanny went to live with her sister named Dovey. Dovey, who was bedridden due to a cancer diagnosis, found her life cut short just a little while after her sister's arrival. Needing another cash out, Nanny Dosh joined a dating service called the Diamond Circle Club and met a man named Richard Morton who lived in Jamestown, North Carolina. They married in 1952 in Kansas, and though he seemed to have his drinking under control, Richard was known to carry out an affair or two during their marriage. So she took care of him the way she did her other husbands. But before she killed him, she poisoned her mother Louisa in January of 1953 when she came to live with them. Three months later, it was Richard's turn. With a heavier coin purse and her eyes already on a new target, Nanny married Samuel Doss in Tulsa, Oklahoma in June of 1953 the month after Richard was killed. Now, Samuel was a little bit different than Nanny's other husbands. A Nazarene minister who lost his family in a tornado, Samuel was a good man who seemed to be head over heels for his new wife. Unfortunately for him, he made a few mistakes that would end up costing him his life. Samuel did not approve of his wife's romance novels, which seemed like a small price to pay for a decent husband, and he kept a tight leash on their shared money, giving very little to his new wife. His frugal attitude did not sit well with Nanny, who fled to Alabama and said she would not return until Samuel agreed to sign her to his checking account. He did, and she returned home. But in September of 1954, Samuel ended up in the hospital with flu-like symptoms, was diagnosed with a severe digestive tract infection, and was released on October 5th and into the care of his loving wife. He died just seven days later with not one, but two insurance policies on his life. The sudden death of Samuel Doss was enough to worry the doctors who thought they had fixed the ailing man. So, for the first time, an autopsy was ordered, and after finding large amounts of arsenic in his system, his widow was promptly arrested and brought into the police station, where, pretty quickly, she confessed to not just Samuel's murder, but all of the ones that came before him. In total, Nanny killed four husbands, two children, her sister, her mother, two grandchildren, and a mother-in-law. When news spread of her actions, Nanny Doss, who seemed to relish in her newfound fame, was dubbed the Giggling Granny, the Jolly Black Widow, the Lonely Hearts Killer, and a Lady Bluebeard. The self-made widow was, in the end, only charged with the murder of Samuel Doss. After making jokes and regaling the court with her methods for killing each individual, the 50-year-old woman pleaded guilty on May 17, 1955, and was sentenced to life imprisonment. 
After spending just about 50 years in prison, Nanny Doss died of leukemia in the Oklahoma State Penitentiary on June 2nd, 1963 or 65, depending on the source. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on November 5th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.